welcome to episode 29 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria, and your host. If you'd like more information about the game, go to hazardgaming.com. And for information about the podcast, as well as show notes and other episodes, go to pennyredpodcast.com. This week inside the Roleplayer Studio, I have Robert Boll, publisher of Misspent Youth, Teenage Rebellion, and a Fucked Up Future. You may also know Robert from the podcast, The Independent Insurgency, and Robert assures me that he knows how to use a computer real good. So without further ado, hi there, Robert. How's it going? Hey there. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. So people can uh, get an opportunity to, to know you a little better. Perhaps people that haven't listened to The Independent Insurgency, I, I recommend you do listen to it. Um, how long have you been a role player? Um, I'm not totally sure. Um, I, I'm, I would say 35 or more years, somewhere around there. Right. I, I got, I know that I got Moldvay Basic, which right. came out in 1981, out of the store. So right. wow. <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems like a very specific time. Yeah. So you're in right from the very start. So I, have, I haven't actually encountered too many people that have experienced this uh, firsthand. Jen Dixon episode 17 is the closest I've come. But um, did you have a, um, a, a good experience with uh, people's perception of Dungeons and Dragons or do you have any stories along those lines? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I... Uh, I, I I always really wanted to to like play role playing games even before I was able to you know mm-hmm. like I had a, a family uh, friend that used to uh, watch us a lot and he you know he had a teenage daughter and I was like six or something and right. I wanted to play and for some reason they wouldn't let me um, <laughs> but you were six uh, and very very I annoying managed probably. to <laughs> tamp down that that, that frustration <laughs> um, but yeah I would say that uh, I, I probably kept it fairly secret come to think of it outside of my family right. until like uh maybe uh high school right um where i was just i would play with my family or i would play like uh no you know what that's not that's not true because i know that i was speaking to my friend judd carlman about about uh D and stuff uh, uh but anyway i did have this fear um because i grew up a nerd in the 80s that right. you know that i would get shit on for it um right. and I, I think i did keep it out of school for a very long time um but no i don't think i ever actually directly experienced any of that negativity but i was lucky enough to grow up in like new jersey rather than iowa or right, wherever sure. it was yeah it's not really that poor Jen was either, yeah. at the time so with that um did you just do a lot of um, making your own dungeons and making your own characters and stuff or did you have sort of a secret group of friends that used to get together and play yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I did a lot of solo play, and especially the Moldvay Basics set, I remember uh, back and forth from my my grandmother's house, I would play by myself, and I had this impression that I was this sad, lonely little kid. And then uh, as an adult, at like 36 or something, I, I, we were playing Moldvay Basic again for someone's birthday, and right. I found out that uh, in the book it says that you can play this alone. Right. So it's like a choose-your-own-adventure-y sure. kind of thing inside nice. it. Um, I did have I, I would try to get my brother to play games and then i would try i would say the first time i really started though to play games is probably with other people regularly you know as opposed to just one person once trying it and then not wanting to try it again right. it's probably around junior high school around 12 12 years old when i met judd right. um and then i was finally we, we bonded over thor in the comics and thor in in, in mythology and right. 
the rest is history. Right. So with that sort of uh, closeted introduction to Dungeons & Dragons, I suppose, um, you get a lot of experience with that sort of solo play aspect of, uh, of role-playing. And I've brought it up with a couple of people in the past, but I would be interested to get your uh, impression of the idea, at least. Um, I found that when I started playing, you know, I did a lot of that, making up character sheets by myself and making my own adventures and all that sort of thing. And, and while that's not quite as good as actually playing, one of the things about in independent games, and, I'll, and I'm going to also get your impression of what that exactly means later on, but one of the things about the, the more character-driven, let's say, games is you don't really have the opportunity to do much of that sort of preparation ahead of time, you know, that stuff that was, was fun to get all your sort of ducks in a row before people would actually sit down. Have you found that at all? Or? Well, um, I wouldn't say that I felt that way. I, I felt like I always wanted to game with people. And um, once I started to get games that allowed me to have all the fun with the other people, uh, I, I found it immensely more fun. Um, oh, for sure. I, I would get into these things where I would read like a White Wolf source book or something and spend hours making notes for all these ideas that I had and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But once I, I started to get games where all of that lonely fun stuff was not lonely anymore. It was all sort of collaborative. Sure. Uh, not only did I enjoy it more, but I found I really uh, appreciated the quality of what I got uh, back a lot. Um, and and also, I like getting that free time back. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That um, Yeah, there's no substitute for actually playing, but I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, you don't have the opportunity for lonely fun with the more character-driven games because, you know, you... You need other people there to play off. Even if you're going to be the game master, the story comes from the backgrounds and the and the stories that your actual players want to tell. And without them there, it's it's more difficult to to get any kind of uh, get any more fun out of it. Not saying it's necessarily better or worse, just just different, I suppose. So you started off with Moldvay, um, and what did you go to next? Uh, the 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 expert and the the whatever the other two immortal and what, remember there was like four there were four sets for the additional levels the right. moldvay i think only gave you like levels 1 through 3 and then there were additional box sets for the additional levels and uh, i went through those i went through every D&D knockoff uh for a different genre like uh boot hill and 007 and uh all that stuff you know right. all those all those games uh, 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 Gamma World, all those games that had the D&D stats and the D&D rules and, and it added a different gloss on them. Right. Um, and then throughout the 80s, I sort of got, you know, started to get into like Palladium and, and uh, or later 80s and stuff. Uh, I remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how much fun that was to create characters. Mm, that's right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the best lonely fun, I think. I made a, a, a polar bear with acid squirting guns. Uh, and, and then from there to like uh, uh, White Wolf and like every, most of the games that most people talk about i've i've played or 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 read mm -hmm. um you know before you know in the in the tra trad age you know right, before right. like D D three i would say sure yeah that uh sort of progression through the what was, was basic dungeons and dragons i only ever had that the first sort of basic you know one to three then i went to advanced dungeons and dragons which took your your characters to you know what an unlimited level i never really got into that sort of other stream you know there was it was basic and then uh was it masters and no it was uh basic then expert then companion then masters then immortals is that 
Help. I think so, yeah. yeah. And I also did I, – I jumped to AD&D too because I had this thing when I was little where I was like, well, D&D, it, that's, that's the basic game. I want the advanced game, you know. Right. And then when you hear that you can have an elf who's also uh, a, a fighter, you know, mm. that's, that's like mind-blowing. And I, I yeah, couldn't sure. wait to get my, whole, my hands on it. Right. So how did those sort of um, – because I, I never – I was aware they existed, but I never really got into them. What was the difference between basic and then expert and so forth? Did it just give you more character background? There wasn't really any other information in there? Well, it was levels. Um, you right. really only got level one through three in, in the basic set. And so they would – I don't remember them too well because, like, I, I – probably stopped reading them shortly after I got them. Uh, but uh, my, my sense would be that, you know, increasing uh, levels, increasing powers and spells and, and sort of DM advice on what to do with all that. Right. So how, did you ever play Wraith when you were playing White Wolf games? <laughs> yeah, your Wraith quest. Uh, I, I wanted to play Wraith. I bought Wraith. I read Wraith and I wanted to play it, but I was very conservative in that age. And I thought, like there's i didn't like the idea of like someone playing another part of me which now i think is really awesome yeah. um but also and i think this is maybe possibly still a substantive critique it didn't seem like there was any reason for wraiths to be together sure. i mean i know yeah. that i'm sure there was some backstory but i remember on reading it that it seemed like well why these are ghosts like why do they have anything to do with each other right. you know and it was so dis- uh, also the other thing was it was so separated from the real world that like one of the nice things about running white wolf games is you don't have to do a lot of the thinking because you've got the real world to fall back on and then you kind of lose a lot of that or from my memory uh in in wraith hmm. well that uh my, my wraith quest i actually am happy to say is uh is now basically I think going to the next episode that I record will will put a put an end to that uh, that quest. Um, Ryan uh, Macklin, who I still haven't managed to get to uh, to give the, the the green light on the episode that I recorded with him, his uh, his lady friend has a lot of uh, experience with wraith. So I'm, I've got all my wraith books in a, uh, in, a, in a row and I've read through most of them so that I'll I've reminded myself what it's all about. So I'm hopeful, listeners, that uh, Lillian and uh, and myself. Hopefully next week we'll uh, we'll have a, an in-depth discussion about Wraith and we can see where that's uh, where that's going to go. But uh, going back to what you were, were saying about the um, somebody else playing part of it, now you you think it's awesome and, and people staying together. Do you think that um, people sort of stay, or well, so as characters staying together and, and helping each other out, is that one of the conceits of role playing? I would say it was probably the expectation. Uh, of a lot of people it was like you know is uh it was all we'd seen so that was right. all we we thought of right. um for the most part you know who, except for whoever thought of wraith uh but um that's still my preference i still like games uh I, at the start of sort of when I got introduced to indie games in 2005, uh, it was all backstabby, fuck one another up all the time right. stuff. You know, it was right. all this uh, fantasy where you were eventually going to screw someone over and feed them to their kids. Right. And I, that, those kind of stories are fun. Um, but uh, I like more cooperation. I don't really I'm, – I'm, I'm a nerd. So, like, I, I, I was never really into the, the, com- the competitive aspect of it. Or I am, but way, way, way too much. So right. um, I really tend 
tend to prefer games, and that's par- partially why I wrote Misspent Youth. Right. I prefer to play games where you're uh, – the analogy I used to make is uh, you're not like Star Trek The Next Generation where everybody is best friends and, and no matter if you've you know, seen them spend time together. You're more like Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That's my preference where right. you're all kind of pretty much going in the same direction and you want the same things, but you have some contrary feelings and sometimes you yeah. screw one another over. Yes. Um, but mostly you don't want the station to blow up. Right. You know? yeah. I think that's an important balance to strike where you've got people who are you know, helping each other out in some respects, but, but not in others. Much like real life, I suppose. But it's that friction between the characters, I think, that's sort of the richest vein that you can, that you can mine in role-playing. Definitely. So you played some, some White Wolf, and then after that, what did you get into? Um, adventure, Scion... Uh, uh, Trinity it used to be called uh, yes. that whole like uh, uh, the, then the superhero one aberrant uh, those right. are all these white wolf games that were uh, in a in a historical series it was pulp uh, and then superheroes and then sort of uh, space fantasy yes. or uh, sci fantasy right. uh, uh, science fiction I was very there was a time where I was very like give me anything I'll try anything right. uh, of course it was hard to get people to play those so like a lot of these games sure. like maybe I only played like one or two sessions, but yeah, I don't know. Like there was always that resistance with old games where like people didn't want to learn new systems because it was so hard. It was like, you know, changing your major or something. Right. Yeah. That's, it's often a difficult sell for people, you know, say, look, I did want to play this game. They're like, well, you know, we've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since 1983 and we're not ready to make the leap to, to dogs in the vineyard or, or anything for, for that matter. You know, that, that change, from playing something that's safe um, and, oh, in a lot of respects, I think probably nostalgic to playing something that's not like misspent youth is, you know, it's, for some people that's a, it's a tough sell. But I was talking with Lenny Balsera, episode 16, and we were talking about this idea that there are sort of almost two different ways you can go about role-playing. The first one is, you know, you find a game that you like and you play it and you enjoy the role-playing aspect of it. But there's, you know, there's another sort of side to it where you know, there are so many different role-playing games out there. It's just, you know that the fun is, you know, learning new systems, playing playing new games and just continually, you know, becoming more and more acquainted with, with what's out there. Do you feel that you fall more, you know, at one end of that than, than the other? Or do you think that's sort of a progression that, that people make when they get into role-playing? I, I would say that I'm probably now more on the changing up systems, you know, trying different games. But uh, I... That's not the focus of the hobby for me. It's more, I, I just want lots of different experiences and I want to see what these different games can give me. And another thing is, um, I really, uh, I had a problem, I'm sure a lot of people did, throughout my entire you know, gaming life of never being able to finish anything. Yes. You know, uh, a game would just go on and go on and go on and then people are like, well, let's change it. Or, you know, you yes. miss a few weeks and they'd yeah. be like, well, let's go, let's go with something else. Yeah. Or, I've really got this idea I want to go yeah. on. Yeah. So, you know, in my entire youth, I think I only maybe finished one game yes. you know and 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 what i really really like with now is that i i a lot of games like you know it's going to be like maybe it's even encoded into the rules that it's five or six sessions yes. or or when i'm playing games now where there isn't one uh, when there isn't an end game or a sense of, of ending coming i get a little antsy you know yes. I, was, I was playing uh shock with uh vincent baker and 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 joshua c newman the creator and a bunch of other people and um 
And at some point, we were having a lot of fun. We were playing the game for like two years. And I was like, I don't want to insult everybody because I'm having a lot of fun. But where, when are we ending? You know, because I, I don't want to just have this sort of endless grind and, then, and not have a story end, you know? Um, so uh, I would say I'm definitely on the changing up systems, but only because I want, I want endings because it feels better. That's right. Yeah, that sense of closure is something that, I can certainly um, empathize with a lot of games, you know, people uh, like something new to, to play with. And uh, so when a new system comes along, you know, it's, it's very tempting to, to switch, switch up to that. And I know that some uh, gaming groups have a rule that you can't bring other games along and, and talk about them um, during the, during a session. And I, and I can see, you know, why they might do that if they were concerned it was going to, um, be sort of counter counterproductive to, to having a good session at that moment when people are thinking about the next thing. But you know that, that goes back to that idea of the, you know do we want to try new things or are we in this to have a finished story? And and I'm like you, I like there to be closure. And, and in my book, I talk you know about setting out so, sort of having a, a goal in mind. And it's, it's you can always change. Uh, where your, your story's going, you know, because a lot of the input comes from the characters. But having an idea about, you know, a cycle so that people get that sense of closure and, and, and finishing something like a big finale. And then even if they then take up with those same characters another story, you know, that's that that's fine. But having that sense of, you know, like we told a story and we went from start to finish, you know, ah, you know, like we're we're finished and, and, and now we can move on. So do you think that that sort of goes into... Uh, you know whether there's catharsis and role playing. Like you need to get that feeling that you've 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 completed a circle. Uh, certainly for me, I really I really like the feeling of catharsis I can get from gaming. I know there's a lot of people who who say who basically you know they want to play tunes. You know, like like the 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 World of Warcraft term. You know, you right. just want a guy with some abilities that can do some things, and you're interested in the tactics of it. And maybe you mostly talk about pizza, or your characters make you know uh, uh, Monty Python jokes, and that's cool. Right. It's really not where I'm at though. Like I, I really want games that like. Um, not necessarily always are giving me this emotional gut punch, no. uh, uh, but I want I want to uh, I call it like embodying. I yes. want to embody someone, and there's yeah, a lot yeah. of games that um, are designed such that you maybe wind up never embodying. You know, like yes. even good games that I like, indie games that are designed so that you can say, "Oh, this is the stuff that happened." You know, yes. and you never have to get down into that mm. moment. And to me, getting down into that moment, being that person, pretending to be somebody else—that's the key of role playing yes. and uh it's cathartic to me just for a moment when the thing like when when stuff just snaps into place yeah. just the way it should for that character that doesn't exist yes you know there's sure. this oh so here's this wonderful uh, an example of this there's this game by um bill white called ganakagak and it's about uh uh an Inuit-like uh, society, Eskimos, up at the North Pole, uh, just as sun is coming. And it's got this um, card thing. You throw out cards, and you read the cards, and whenever you don't know what you're doing, you throw another card, and the cards are written like horoscopes. Right. So you can like fill it in any way you want to. And the wonderful thing about human brains is we're really good at like papering over the holes in a story or finding a way to make it completely right. And you wind up pulling cards that say, you know, some obscure bit of text that could mean anything. And you're like, oh my god, that's so right. It's yes. so perfect for this moment. That's and right. I, like, I like when that happens, when you're like, when you experience a thing that 
feels like it doesn't come from you. Yeah, those phone lines uh, have that to thank, I think, for <laughs> for all the money that they make when it, when you phone up an astrologist. You know, people are very good at remembering the hits and, and terrible at remembering the misses and, and being able to sort of create a synergy of how any piece of information can can relate to their life or in the sense of role playing you know like taking those disparate elements and then turning it into some cohesive whole you know is uh i think is is for me at least that's where the, the magic comes from from telling stories and also from you know inhabiting characters you know like that when you get to that point where you know you're not playing a character you are the character and it take, i think it takes a special type of, of game and also a special type of gm to to get that to to happen so is do you think that uh, the people have a role playing soulmate? Like, do you feel like even though maybe you don't play the game now, you know, there's a there's a game that really fits you. And, and if you had to, you know, choose one game on a desert island, it's the one that you'd choose. Oh, I definitely have a desert island game, but I, I don't believe in soulmates for people or for for games. I think that uh, you you. There are there are a lot of games that I would really like to 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 be involved with and and can develop a really strong relationship with you know, mm-hmm. um, but it just as with with real relationships I think that you know you find the person that's right for you ish you know and you yeah. sort of work it out. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what game like I always go back to now right now it's definitely Primetime Adventures by Matt Wilson. Right. Um, uh, it's a game where it's it it blew up my brain in a really exciting way. Right. It 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 it's one of the first games that I played uh in the forge derived uh tradition. Um and j- just the, the fact that it does the spotlight management, you know, right. uh that that it tells the game tells you this session you're not that important. These other people are important, and it puts it on you to like keep that in mind. You right. know, um, all the ways that you're asked to reward other people when they do the things that you like. Just like there's so many wonderful things in that, and on top of it all, because it's set to create, it's made to create a television show. Yeah. It can be really like you can play an unlimited variety of stories with it. Right. Um, it it's sort of like uh, uh, indie GURPS. Right. You know? Right. Except that's not really true because no matter what, you're going to wind up with a story that feels like it's on TV and it's a character drama with an ensemble cast for the most part. Right. Yeah, I, I've not tried that game, but a number of guests have, have talked about it and it's something I would like to check out. I'm, I'm quite interested in the mo- at the moment in the games that are, I wouldn't say super close-ended, but where, you know, you play out an episode, I'm imagining, in, in primetime adventures, like it's a relatively short time frame to go from start to finish and get a complete story. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, there's there's some attempt. There's a third edition being uh, written right now, and there's an attempt to sort of... Um, time it out a little bit more and stuff so you, so you want structure it a little bit more so that you, you you're sure to get a a full story every time but it's that thing we were talking about with like the tarot cards before um if you know time's ending and and you're you're aware of what's going on with the game uh, and also the game has this great feedback mechanism with the fan mail where eventually the fan mail is going to go away there's right. not going to be any more points to spend so as these these resources are going away um, and as you're you're watching the development of whatever the spotlight character story is this session you're all focused on it and you and you say oh things are about to end all right let's start to think about how they would end you know it's just right. it's a great little bit of game design um that, that it both rewards you uh and it's a timing mechanism it's really really pretty cool and it and it's a way for you to learn what other people want out of you right 
Okay, that's uh, that sounds like a pretty good uh, review and also a, a thorough a thorough endorsement. I'll see if I can uh, I can track that chap down and maybe you can uh, get him on the show to to uh, to talk a little bit about it. Um, I'd love that. So, uh, what do you play now? Um, right now, it's been about three months since I got to play a game. Uh, I'm I'm. Uh, I played Apocalypse World, but I'm about to start an Apocalypse World series uh, um, next week, I think, uh, because I want to learn the rules, uh, uh, which I, I have not been able to do from the text. Um, Vin- Vincent's writing style in that uh, just isn't jibing with my brain, although it does jibe with a lot of people. Yes, so yeah. I want to get the sense of it because I want to write like a Battlestar Galactica with the serial numbers filed off right, uh, sure. game in that uh, in that uh, system, uh, right. and I need to know it a lot better. So, like, I'm very excited about it too because I think that's another game that's revolutionizing role playing the way that uh, Primetime Adventures did back then with the with the agenda stuff. You know, where it says, "This is your job as a GM. This is your job as a player." It's right. so rare to see that. That's a well. You know what? I'm going to ask this uh, this question out of order. What is an indie game? <laughs> oh, it's a new one, huh? Uh, an indie game is, for me, a game where uh, only the publisher, only the, the de- de- sorry, only the designer writer uh, is the uh, can can order print copies of a book. Um, so that that the, in other words, the creator of the work is the only person with rights to that work to do stuff with it. Um, now that that kicks a lot of games out um but it's the only way i can think to make the word indie meaningful now colloquially if i'm saying indie i'm probably thinking of games from the forge design uh uh, lineage directly or indirectly right so do you think it has anything to do with uh the way that the line between characters and uh the game master whatever you want to call them um operate I don't think that's the core of it. When to me, there's a lot of things you could talk about that forged um, design sphere. Uh, I think to me, its main focus is uh, a focused design. is is saying your game needs to be about something. Make the rules be about that. Right. And that's where it's sort of. Uh, I don't know enough about ta- uh, about um, board games because I don't love them. But it reminds me of the split. It seems that there is between Euro games and and whatever the non Euro games is, um, where with the Euro games it seems like it's a it's a bottom up approach. It's like here are the things you need in order to play the game, and we're just going to add what you need to play the game, and you address the game only through these tools, right. which is which is pretty much. To me, the signifier of indie style, not indie publishing games, right. is that they're, they're, they want to be about something and they're focused on being about that thing right. uh, in a very concrete and, 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 and uh, thought out way. Whereas with D&D, obviously D&D is about something, but it's not – it doesn't seem to me like that's what's foremost in the designer's minds when they're designing it. I think it's mostly about like how do we deliver the D&D experience, which has to do with uh, a lot of um, uh, nostalgia and tactics and and uh, people are expecting to see things there. You know, it's sort of, or or even we're not talking about D&D. Sort of the more traditional uh, uh, design way is to say, here's how physics works. Here is how everything can be done in this world. Whereas right. in an indie game, like in, in Misspent Youth, you can't fight 
with the other youthful offenders. Right. The system doesn't allow you to do it. You can argue if you want to, but it's meaningless, you know. Right. Um, uh, and that's the kind of thing I'm, uh, that, that's that's key to me for for indie games is that they they have that sort of bottom up focused approach. Right on. Okay, well, I think the listeners should have a pretty good idea of uh, where you're coming from and, and where you're at right now. So what's your favorite book or supplement? It doesn't have to be something that you play right now, just a particular piece, a particular work that uh, you you love and you know you always go back to and that you maybe just enjoy the picture of. That may be Primetime Adventure, although it could be something else. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, My Life with Master by Paul Sega. Um, it's a game where you all, it's, it's the first indie game I played. Uh, and it's a game where you play, where all the players play henchmen of, uh, some Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein like character who's the GM. Um, and that's the master. And it, it, I feel like whenever anyone grows up as a role player, they should get a copy of the game because it's really wonderfully, adult role playing and i don't mean that in like a sex way although there is sex sometimes in it it's just it's complicated it's thorny it's ugly it's dark it's sad it's funny there's like so many things uh in it and uh i feel like i like i've i've ripped it off a lot for my designs uh, in sure. various ways um and i feel like i only sort of scratch the surface of understanding it and it's right. a game that i feel like should be a lot better known right so going to the flip of that uh, question, if you could cause one game or supplement to cease to exist, what would it be? It doesn't have to mean doesn't mean necessarily you think it's badly written. You don't have to worry about somebody being sad because it's gone. It's just some piece of work that, for one reason or other, has has wronged you in some perhaps random way, and, and you just would rather it hadn't ever come along. Uh, do I have to worry about uh, paradox? Absolutely not. No. no. Okay. You can good. Take out the- D&D. Okay. It's not that I hate D&D, although I'm sure it sounds that way from the things I've been saying. Um, but I would be very curious to see what the entire role-playing hobby would look like oh, yes. if D&D wasn't the start of it. Oh, good answer. If it had, if it had been started with, I don't know, like uh, uh, Jane Eyre in mind, you know, or, right. or, or uh, maybe even something uh, uh, exciting but not fantasy, like a, you know, a science fiction game or a Western right. game. Right. I would just – or, or – Basically, I would like to see what would happen in a world um, where Forge-type focused design started in 1979. Yes. Well, it's an interesting you should bring that up because I hadn't considered that uh, answer to the to the question before, although that, that particular idea is something I discussed with Sean Nittner in Episode 4, and that is um, most of the people that are interested in, in role-playing are males. I mean, the, the gender balance is, is shifting somewhat, but it's predominantly uh, males, and I wonder, well, we wondered at least if that came out of the fact that, you know, the first role-playing games came from an extension of um, sort of tactical war game type stuff, and we wondered what the hobby would look like if it had actually started from, say, the improv end of the uh, of the role-playing sort of spectrum. Yeah, I, I was very excited on hearing that. I I, I felt the same way. Right. Like, uh, um, yeah, I think I think that. The reason that there aren't as many women is it did start – I mean it started with war game uh, people uh, and those are usually guys and uh, it started with socially awkward people who had a hard time uh, uh, communicating or it seems to me or at least that was my experience in my youth right. um, is that it was – it drew a lot of socially awkward people that weren't comfortable with talking to women perhaps, you know. Right. Um, also, I think more meaningfully, 
it, when it started to become a boys club thing or since it was a boys club thing, uh, girls frequently are, are disinvited from that either directly and literally or sort of subliminally by like, you know, the art or, uh, or the yes. demeanor of people at mm. conventions yep. or all sorts of things like that. So I think that there is a historical element to it, yeah. um, but there's some, some reinforcement um, uh, yeah. of that. Yes. You know, and and I think also part of it is the girls are not socialized to uh, to think that they're good at math, and right. for you know thirty years or so, role playing was you know tight charts and math and and all that stuff. You know, right. um, and I'm not saying that women aren't good at math. I think they are. I think though that they have been socialized not to try it or not to do that for for fun. Right. Um, uh, whereas guys are not that way. So. Right. For sure. So. Um, are there any games or supplements that you're looking forward to coming out? Yeah. Um, I am really looking forward to Ep- Epidiah Ravishal's uh, uh, game Swords Without Master. Right. Um, it's meant to uh, do stories in the vein of like Fofford and the Grey Mouser or Conan. Uh, these sort of stories from like the time when uh, uh, you know you, you you it was all lawless and, and and it was just you know a few scumbags trying to eke out survival. Right. Uh, and and uh, it's it's a sword and sorcery game. It's a game that is heavily focused on imagery um, right. during play. You, uh, whenever anyone says something that you're like really excited by, or like creates an image that you think is really cool, right. you write it down on a card, and that's a pacing mechanism for the game. So once some people have said enough cool things, and enough people have appreciated those cool things, uh, it, it triggers a next step of the game uh, where you have to like sort of reincorporate and do lessons and that kind of stuff. And what's really great about that game um, is that. That system that I described means that you can have the game run really quick or really slow. Right. Like it's up to you if you want to take your time luxuriating and waiting for like the perfect thing. Or if you're like, oh, uh, we've, you know, we spent two hours BSing and there's only two hours left in this con scenario. Um, so I'm just going to be such a big fan of things and I'm going to try and come up with the most exciting things I can think of to really push this along. Right. Right, and do you know what the schedule is for that? But is that something people should look for this year or next year or maybe at cons in the future? I don't know the schedule. I know that there is a playable demo uh, that's available called The City of Fire and Coin. And it sort of it gives you these text pieces and then, and then it kind of teaches you to play the game. Right. Um, I, I would expect it might be ready sometime next year. Um, in fact, I'm somewhat tempted to say, oh, uh, uh, that that uh, Epi told me it would be ready next year just to like fuck him over and make it so he has to. But <laughs> I think he would just ignore my, my statement. <laughs> so if you could only be a player or a GM, which would you choose and why? Uh, I don't think there's a difference. Okay. Um, uh, I'm being kind of an asshole here, but uh, I, I really don't think that the GM is a different – is a thing. Um, any given game has a different – uh, role for the GM if they have a GM or a GM-like thing, and those rules are different in all those different games. And I think we wind up doing damage to our play experiences when we think of them as being too unitary, because then we wind up with this thing that, like, this is how you GM, or that's that's how you don't GM. But right. but different games call for different things, and different groups call for different things. So, cool. that, all that said. <laughs> um, uh, I understand the meaning of your question. Sure. Uh, and I think if I was forced to be 
in that situation, I would probably choose GMing because I'm a spotlight hog and being a GM means that it's okay to be a spotlight hog, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of like running a meeting. It makes you a lot more aware of your own problems, you know? That's right, yeah. Uh, or doing an interview, but I, re- I really feel like uh, like it's a false dichotomy. Like, like I think that we've had 30 years of one setup, but what's a GM, right? A GM is the guy that knows the rules. He's the, the person whose house it's at. It's the person who got everybody together to play. It's the person who knows most about the rules. It's the one who's responsible for the things that are going to kill you. All of these things can be broken up. Um, maybe some of them work better together than others do. Um, uh, but there's no reason to think of it in that, in that strictly binary way, I feel. Well, that's a very thorough answer there. I look forward to somebody disputing that uh, <laughs> in a future episode. I, I agree. To, I agree with. Uh, I agree to a point with uh, with with what you're saying. You know, this blurring of the lines, I think, is only good for the for the hobby. So, when you're a GM, what sort of preparation do you do? Assuming you're not playing a GMless game or something. Right. I. I- uh, really tend to prefer games that have very little uh, prep work or to none. Uh, Apocalypse World has a very, very small amount of prep work and in the couple of times I've run one-shots with the intent of continuing, I've never gotten around to doing it because I've just been spoiled. Uh, uh, I probably spend most of my time uh, in prep work doing things like creating a, a PDF sheets that can be typed into and clicked on and stuff and, and all sorts of like resources and stuff to, to, to use. Right. But I really, um, I, I don't like, uh, having any, I like to play to see what happens. I like to go in without any preconceptions and, and run with it. Yeah. That's sort of a skill for, a um, for an experienced role player. We've talked about this a little bit before, but, um, do you think that that comes from maturity, though? Like you start out and you want to you know, have your ducks in a row, and the and the people go through the the mice go through the maze looking for the for the cheese, and that's you know that's good when when you're starting out. But do you think that it takes a particular type of person to enjoy that type of role playing, or do you think that that's a a progression that that most people would follow if they if they were prepared to look around at different systems? I feel like. Um there might be something to the notion that young, younger, like teenagers and stuff playing, it might be a more natural mode for them, depending upon how they've been socialized, to have a person at the head of it all. Um, but I think that collaborative storytelling is, is – I mean storytelling is innately human. It's how we think. We make up stories all the time. We pull uh, – the way memory works is we pull all these associations together and then we tell ourselves a story about it that's probably pretty true. Right. Um, and and so human beings are innately storytellers. It's, 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 it's essential to humanity. And I really feel like uh, – uh, when I get grandiose about it, one of the wonderful things about role-playing games is it can be instructive to people uh, that this is this is in your nature. You can mm. do this. Right. Um, and and I, I really feel like everybody has the ability to, um, unless they've got some mental disorder, you know. Uh, uh, and I don't say that pejoratively because there are people who do have problems with imagination sure. um, and that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think it's an innate thing in humans, and I think a lot of people... Um, are used to feeling like they they or have the experience and the history to tell them that no you really you can't you can't do it that way you got to have one person at the head or it's going to be a giant clusterfuck and confusing and all that kind of stuff right. but I really don't think that that's the case you know and that 
the other thing I'll say is that there are people, what I was trying to get at, is that there are people who their comfort zone is strictly in that that mode. And I wouldn't right. want to try and change them or anything. I just sort of hope distantly from afar that they that they that they see that they can do it too. Right. Well, what's the perfect number of people to role play? It's really highly dependent on the system. Like there uh I was just talking to someone today about uh a game, I think it was Monster of the Week. Maybe. I don't know. But anyway, he said that it was a game that played better when you got more people. It was actually kind of frustrating to play it with only four people. Um, But for the most part, uh, I I get horrified when I hear people talk about nine-person games and stuff. Mm. I generally prefer, you know, maybe as much as five players total, uh, uh, including everybody, Um, and, and probably more like four. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be a pretty common number for for people that enjoy um, sort of character driven games. But I think that you know when you get to the to the simulation end of the sort of role playing spectrum, I think that supports having more people. Although paradoxically, I think that the, that when you get to those simulation games, the more people you've got, you know, in the game, it actually takes far longer for anything to happen, and you can spend a lot of your time actually just doing a single combat. But you know, maybe that's what people are interested in doing. So. Yeah, I think that there. I mean, there's. Um, I've been, I've had the Call of Cthulhu play culture described to me as um, a situation where people expect that they're mostly going to be listening to a story, right. and that every now and then they'll be asked what they think or what they might like to do. Right. Um, and I, I don't say this to to slam the game because I, I I'm not very familiar with the play culture, but that's how it's been explained to me. And if that's what people want to do, that's a perfectly valid way to spend your time. It's not what I want to do. Um, and I, I, I think even those people, you know, can, can learn that they really do have this ability to create stuff, um, with the right supports. Yeah. There are so few of us that just, I mean, I'd probably say this every other week, but you know, there's just no, you know, we can't, we have to just enjoy the fact that other people understand what role playing is. The fact that we do it slightly differently is, is, you know, beside the point. And, and Sean Hayworth and, um, Kristen Hayworth have their, their podcast, Bad Wrong Fun, where they sort of address this idea that, you know, that everybody likes to be, um, likes to think that they're doing it right. You know, like the way that they're doing it is the, is the best way to do it. But, um, yeah, there's just so much variety and there's so many different people that, you know, the, just having some, you've been able to talk to somebody. I mean, I know that in my everyday life, apart from the people that I actually role play with, there, there's, there's nobody that I can sort of talk about role playing with. And I don't mean that because I'm scared to bring it up, but just have no idea at all. And somebody that at least can appreciate where, you know, where I'm coming from and a, and a big part of my life something that I really enjoy is, is rare enough as it is without, you know, having a go at them for, for liking playing, you know, Call of Cthulhu or, or, or Mutants and Masterminds or Dungeons Dragons or whatever it might happen to be. Um, have you encountered a lot of that sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say nerd rage, but, you know, like the people Back-ism. that... <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The internet um, and, and, uh, and the Forge uh, helped me uh, learn that I'm not right all the time. Like when I was a young kid, um, up until like, you know, maybe 2005 even, so not such a young kid, I, I, I thought I, me and my friends were great. We knew what role-playing was. We were, uh, so much better than most everybody else, everybody that we ever met. Um, and then really getting on the internet and seeing people from all over the world and taking the time to listen to them, um, and not, you know, not being in a social situation where I can just write them off. I learned that, you know, like I'm not right. Like there are people, there are people who enjoy different things than I do. And that's totally fucking cool. I'm really excited that people like things that I don't because, you know, um, that would be boring. But, uh, uh, 
yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's ridiculous. I think that people um, – I think that what happens is people feel like their, their experience is reality. Yes. Um, and they don't take enough time to step out of themselves and consider that their preferences might not be everybody else's preferences. Or, or when I was young, I was like, well, all that dice rolling and, and just fighting monsters and not paying attention to anything about your character and your personality, that's not role-playing. That's role-playing, you know? Right, yeah. um, and you do see that a lot now. You see a lot of people who are, like, threatened by uh, innovative games or who are nastily dismissive of uh of old games and other people's fun or even people my favorite thing that i like to see is when on storygames.com or something somebody says how do i get my friends into these kind of games and about half of the response is don't do that don't try and force your friends into a different kind of thing like if they want to do it that's fine but if you have to force them find different friends make new players you know um because if someone doesn't want to do that with their free time, there's no reason to make them feel like shit about it. No, that's right. This so, I mean, when you get older, your free times become free time becomes more and more scarce. So, you know, that time where you do get to do what you want to do is is more and more precious. But it's a it's an interesting um, problem that you run into because if you're playing with a group of of people who you know, you've managed to finally gather up four other like-minded individuals or however many it might happen to be, and you really, you know, you love role-playing and you want to role-play with them, but there's, you want to try something and play some different game, and, you know, you're, you're getting unhappy in your role-playing relationship, as it were. You know, do you have any kind of currency with them to say, well, you know, I'd really like to, like, I've been, we've been playing Dungeons & Dragons or we've been playing Call of Cthulhu or, or whatever it might happen to be for the last year and a half, is it okay if we have a go at something different? You know, are the people in the group required, you know, in that social contract that you have to say, well, you know what, fair enough, you know, let's let's try something else. Is that the nature of a role-playing relationship or is it just a case of, you know, we play racquetball together and now you want to play football, you're going to have to find someone else to play with? I think it depends on uh, – I hate to sound wishy-washy, but I really think it depends on the group, you know. I mean there are some groups for whom the, we're the D&D group. That's all we do. Um, uh I feel like like the kind of table I'd want to be in is one where people would at least consider other kinds of games. I remember uh, Gary Gygax did this game called Dangerous Journeys, and it had weird words in it. And my friends just laughed at it and scoffed at it. And they're like, we're not going to play something called a Yord, you know? And they were, <laughs> they were just completely shitty about it. Um, I think, though, like if you're in a group where people are not really interested in hippie games or they roll their eyes at it or whatever, the one of the nice things about rules light games and games focused on genres that aren't just D&Doid fantasy is that you can make new role players all right. the time with them. You, right. you, if, if I'm uh, uh, talking to someone on the subway, which this happened, uh, and, and, uh, and he sees my book and he's like, oh, what's that? You know, um, I can tell him, well, you know, there, here's all this dystopian media. You, know? um, uh, you can make up stories about that. And people get it, you know, and they're excited about it. Um, and uh, there are enough open people in the world who are curious and interested uh, I, I, that's that's my vote is is if you're stuck and alone and you want to play new kind of games, make make new gamers. Right. Well, let's go to um, a question way down the list. Seeing as we were talking about it, you, you were sitting next to a, a chap on the subway, and you had what sort of book did you have with you? I had my game book out. Uh, 
uh, it's, it, I, I felt immediately like I was shilling or something. <laughs> so you're just sort of sitting there with your book in your lap, you know, whistling quietly to yourself, tapping your fingers, hoping that somebody's going to take, uh, take notice <laughs> of your, your cover and say, well, it's interesting that you should ask me how many stops till you get off. This is my book. I yeah. published it. Yes. <laughs> All by now, myself. I, 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 so yeah. This guy, you're going to ask about how to pitch, right? Yeah. 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 How do you pitch? <laughs> I do it a lot. My, uh, I, I like to, um, uh, I, I, my entire life work has been in customer service or tech support or, or of one kind or another. So I've had a lot of experience like finding out what people need and then and then giving them the things that can give them it honestly, you know? So like I work booths a lot and uh, at conventions and some of the conventions are in video game conventions like PAX, for example, or like I went to Luca in Italy um, and it was a comics and games festivals, mostly video games and comic books. But this young kid comes up and he's, uh, he's, got a, a CCCP tattoo on his forearm and he's wearing a t-shirt that says anarchist inside right. and uh, uh, and he saw the iconography and he was like this is great I'd like to get it but I don't know what role play- what is this you know right. so I said well you know you play video games right and he's like yeah and I said well it's kind of like a, a video game if the computer were uh, infinitely flexible and uh completely able to read your body language and your pheromones and all that other stuff and and react and let you do whatever you want to do there's no three-foot hedges you know Mm. that that block your way there's no crates to worry about you know it's a completely open environment um it's total sandbox you know kind of thing that that was my pitch for that guy you know then the uh, the guy on the bus uh uh I, i asked him what kind of like science fiction stuff does he like? And he tells me, you know, oh, uh, I, I really like Dune. So, you know, I tell him about uh, the Burning Sands Jihad uh, uh, thing for a uh, uh, supplement for Burning Wheel, which right. lets you do Dune, except it's not Dune. You know, it's got the yep. serial numbers filed off. And he's sure. like, oh, that's so exciting. So I think the main thing for me is finding what people are excited about and then, you know, using my knowledge of that to sort of to, to sell them on the idea. Right. Absolutely. And, and do you find that people are receptive for the most part or do they, do they get the glazed eyes or it sounds like you bring a lot of enthusiasm to it. Is that, is that a key to getting people to, to, to listen and, and get on board? Yeah, it probably helps that I've only ever bothered to try with people who are sort of arms open rather than arms folded. Um, I, I, uh, I haven't, I haven't ever gone at someone, you know, who I didn't, who I, who, who seemed suspicious of it or all, right, you know, right. um, I think, yeah, the key is, is finding people who are like, uh, social and willing to talk and, and are interested. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that would be very successful with someone who, who didn't want to be bothered on the bus. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the thing is that like I get to the, I've mentioned it before, but you may be able to empathize, you know, you get into a conversation and they you know, they say, you know, what's role playing or what's that, and you're like doing a calculation in your head, like, do they actually want to know, or are they just being nice? Yeah, it's just a polite re- reflection of, oh, of really? yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, how often do you role play, and for how long? Uh, it's been uh, scarce lately, and it really pisses me off. Uh, <laughs> um, my my last regular group, we 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 shot to game every other week, and we probably gamed. Uh, uh, seven, uh, three quarters of, uh, 
of a time per month, you know? Right. Uh, uh, I, my ideal is, is really more like once a week. But actually what I'm planning on doing with this Apocalypse World game is once I can get everybody to show up at the end of the session, I'm going to say, all right, everybody, take out your, your calendars, your, your phones. When, do, when can we meet next? And lock right. everybody down right. and try and make that you know within a week or, or as soon as possible. Mm. And in terms of the, the duration, um, I think you know roughly four. I, I want to play for four hours, but in my experience, it's usually a lot of bullshit and chat and stuff. So uh, my gaming sessions tend to be five maybe six hours at the most down to about three at, at the lowest. Right. Yeah, that, that's a problem, isn't it? When you, as I say, you know, when you get to be an older type and you're getting into role playing is, is we're going to actually lock people down because oftentimes, you know, family emergencies or this or that can, can supersede it. And actually finding a group of people where role playing or going to role playing is actually the number one, Thing and I don't mean to the exclusion of any kind of family emergency. I mean like you know somebody comes says you know I've got hockey tickets to go and you know watch the Kings play the Oilers. Um, do you want to go? They're going to go no because that's my role playing night. Rather than oh yeah wow that's a cool opportunity I'm just going to take that. You know what I mean? It's hard to find that you know hard to find that group of people where you know that's actually what they want to do, what they want right. to do the most. Right. It's hard for people even to want to leave anymore. Like there's so much at home now, right? Yeah. You've got the entire world on your computer and, and, and some people just don't even want to go anywhere. You know, they're like, oh, you know, it's like what we try to do with, with, with my last gaming group, whenever we didn't have uh, a session is we would try to all come together anyway, like, except for the people who couldn't show just so we got to socialize, you right. know, um, so that we didn't lose touch with one another. Right. Have you done any online gaming to sort of bridge that, the gap? between those two ideas i've done some and i've found it to be kind of uh frustrating uh the inability to see people is is a real problem for me the in uh, i'm a i'm an interrupter you know and and the way that uh, and i try to control that but if there's like a microsecond of silence i'm going to jump in and then that other person is talking and now we're on skype and the skype is like all back blah, 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 yeah. you know and you can't hear each other so it's just it, it makes me feel very and then you lose people all the time i just i find it very frustrating it's not there for me yet but i've heard that google hangouts is pretty seamless and i did get to play one game uh of a game I'm working on about stand-up comedians uh, on Hangouts. And that was a lot of fun, um, but it was really hard because we were using cards. Right. And, and it's it's hard to do cards on the internet. Yeah, that, that is it called Free Market? Is that the, the game that uses cards also? Uh, uh, free Market, yeah. Free Market uses its own cards, which is even worse because you can't go to like yeah. – uh, you need to buy the bo- – the, well, not, not worse. It's worse for online gaming because yeah. like – that the way that that deck works, uh, yeah, that would be a nightmare. I don't know how. It, didn't Sean say that? He That's tried right. It? Yeah, yeah. Sean Hayworth and both uh, him, he and uh, uh, Jen Dixon, I find it very difficult for anybody that wants to play free market with them. And, and Sean said, and I said, well, you know, have you tried um, finding people, you know, on Hangouts to do it? Because I have no idea about free market whatsoever. And he said, yeah, we did kind of give it a try, but it's hard, you know, with with the cards and stuff, with which to get that to happen. So, so I guess there are, there's still quite a few impediments there. With the, the, for the stand-up comedy game, we use regular playing cards, and right. 
what we had was one guy was, had the deck, and he would draw people's cards, and he would say, okay, I've got Rob's hand now, and everybody else would close their eyes or look oh, away, nice. and he would hold it up to the screen, and I would look at my cards, and then we would switch to the next person, nice. and the next person, and it wasn't really productive. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it got, it got the job done, but, yeah, I can see how that would create a whole lot more time in the game, or, sorry, would require a whole lot more time in, in the session that's, that wouldn't really be necessary, you know, like that, that whole... I mean, it gets around the problem, but it creates a different different type of problem. Yep. So should males play females? You can take that either way, like whether they people should, you know, in a larger sense, people should sort of stretch themselves in the roles that they're playing or, or uh, whether you think that uh, males should just stick to playing males and females to playing females. I, I think that uh, no one should be required to play something that they don't like. I think that it probably for a lot of people uh, would be, a valuable thing to put themselves in a different gender's um, uh, viewpoint. Um, And I also get really annoyed when people forbid that, uh, forbid forbid cross-gender play. I've been at a few tables where that's the case. I didn't make a big deal about it, but it struck me as weird and crappy and stuff, and and I don't really like it. I do like to switch up male and female characters, and I don't really know what makes me choose – a certain character to be male or female usually. Um, I, I think, I, I mean, women uh, can play men too, and I think that it would be valuable for them too. Mm-hmm. Do you think it helps to have, a, if you're going to play, a, do some cross-gender play, do you think that it helps to have a female GM? Like, have you played for a female before as a female? Have I played a woman for a woman? Probably. I, I, I probably have, but I can't remember it. Um, there was a time where events involving women in gaming were a lot more noteworthy for me, right. uh, but but pretty much uh, in in the past ten years or so, um, I've I've just it's been a lot more egalitarian in my experience. Um, but but uh, empathetic. I mean, I want empathetic players of any gender, male, female, or whatever, uh, to be empathetic when I'm playing a game with them. Um, uh, I don't necessarily, when I play cross-gender, or maybe not cross-other gender, mm-hmm. uh, I don't necessarily want to, to, to get something out of it internally for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes I do. But sometimes it's just this visual works for me, that it's a woman. You know, like, I was sure. going to play a lawful evil, uh, uh, the Tiflings, but they're good. What are they called? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, a lot of people talk about Tiflings, and I have to say, I've never actually played with a with a Tiefling. I don't, uh, I don't really know anything about that. Fourth edition, is it, or three point five edition? Three point five, and it, it's uh, and three too. I think it, so. Tiflings are people who have uh, demon blood in their background. Yes. Uh, the other one, I don't know for sure. They had angel blood in their background, and I wanted to play a lawful evil monk. Uh, female with angelic blood who uh, always wore an abaya. Um, and that character had to be female because course, it was yeah. an abaya and, and it didn't really fit. Right, you the, know? the movie that plays uh, in your head when so you're playing. So that character was female. But sometimes, you know, if you're going to play Kagamatsu, you're definitely looking to that's learn right. something about yourself. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned that you've worked at some games uh, where you weren't allowed to play females and you didn't sort of voice your displeasure. But was that at a con game or, or was that just a group that uh, and you were surprised i've seen it most often at con games i don't think i recall it uh at a, at a home game because i pretty much uh, mm. yeah I, I don't think and i think that like what it is is um 
I, I don't really know what it is. So there's a variety of things. I know some women I've heard don't like when men play women because they assume men are going to play them badly. Um, right. I, 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 the way that I've found to play women well, and I've been told um, that this is the right attitude to take, is to not play them as women. Right. Just play them as people, yes. you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think you can't go wrong if you... I mean, provided that there's n- not any particular need for the character to be female in the first place that's easier to do but i suppose if you're like you say you're playing um kagamatsu or you're playing uh say for example uh, somewhere where you have to be a geisha you know there's a requirement for you to to be somewhat female because that's the so the essence of the of the character do you think that um i mean in that case i guess the people aren't that are running the game aren't going to have have that as an option for people but is it um uh as a GM at a convention game, should you be ultimately flexible along those lines? Like, is it is it okay for somebody at a, a uh, like a GM at a table to, to at a convention to say, you know, like you can play whatever you want, but you can't play that? Like, is that a betrayal? In a I way? think it's uh, it's stealing. <laughs> right. In a way, because at a convention, um, they're paying to be there, you know, yes. uh, and if you're gonna like, unless you are, have some kind of, you know. PTSD reaction uh, to people playing cross gender, and there's some real like emotional well being reason why you don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. I feel like you're 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 providing a service to people, and and and, and you should be there for them. Right. So, have you had any really bad con experiences, or paradoxical, or not paradoxical, or um, have you had any really good con experiences? I'm really interested in this idea of Ryan Macklin, who whose episode I haven't put out yet, um, was talking about how you know he's had con experiences where there's where you know like he's got into um, like somebody's been badly behaved at the table, or is, is not you know is not sort of in keeping with the idea of everybody's paid to come here; they don't get a whole lot of time off. Um, and, you know, you're ruining the experience for them. Have you had anything uh, like that you've had to deal with, and how did you deal with it? Oh, yeah, I, I, I have. Um, I never deal with it well when I'm not enjoying myself in a game because I'm too much of a people pleaser, so I won't, like, call people out on it, which is not good. Right. <laughs> you know, you should. When you're not enjoying yourself, you should say something. Um, I mean, I, I was in a game once where they it was, uh, it was that Demons and Angels game, Right. Uh, Nominee, is it? It's uh, very much like a White Wolf game. So, uh, so the guy comes, he brings one book, and the entire group has to make characters out of that one book. Right. Uh, so we're two hours in when the characters are done, and we're oh, about wow. to start the adventure. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. How do we know each other? Why do we have anything to do with each other? Right. Uh, well, uh, they didn't really answer my question. Uh, and then I was like, well, okay, can, can, I, can we hear what the other characters are? You know, what are your names? What do you look like? Right. And I knew that it was all over for me um, when, like, the first guy was like, uh, let's say his name was Bob. He's like, oh, my character's name's Bob, and he looks like me. And the next guy's name's Neil. And he's like, oh, the character's name's Neil and he looks like me you know oh, um and and there was this <laughs> one guy who would not keep his demon uh, uh goddess or whatever uh was the demon goddess of gluttony and she liked hot sauce and so he carried around hot sauce and whenever anyone said anything to him he wouldn't answer anything but hot sauce he was like retarded or something and i got more and more frustrated and then when my friend and i left the convention to go eat i swear to god i like audio hallucinated out of sounds of people eating the words hot sauce like over and over again i was scarred by it <laughs> um, interesting hot sauce um so should you 
as a GM, fudge dice rolls? Uh, no, never. You shouldn't. Uh, it's uh, I, I. I don't think. For me, I don't want you playing with me if you're going to be fudging dice rolls. Uh, I don't want to play a game where I can't see what your dice rolls are so that you can fudge them. Um, and not because, like, I'm afraid you're going to kill me, uh, but because I don't want to play a game where somebody's required to cheat in order for it to be fun. And I don't even mean cheat against me. I'll cheat for me. I don't want that either. I want, I want to play a game that's been crafted so that that's not necessary. Right. Do you think it requires a more mature role player to be able to do that? And, the, and I've, I've given this example a number of times, but I'd be interested in uh, your opinion. Um, would you have given the same answer as a starting out role player? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, I mean, it's like before. There are people who are uncomfortable with it, and they shouldn't have to do it. Uh, sure. uh but yeah, I think I would. I think I think people have it in them, and I think that you know, it, it, certainly, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done sometimes. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, uh, people get used to a certain way of doing things, and then you have to say, uh, uh, "Well, uh, pay attention to me because this this isn't true here." Like the the first edition of Misspent Youth, the Ashcan edition, I didn't have anything in there about killing uh, player characters because. Right. Why would you? It's a, it's an intimate story about the friendship among three people, right. um, and then I had to add that in there because I had to have people unlearning things. And if they, so my point is, I guess if like again, I don't want to push people out of their comfort zones, but I think they can do it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I, th- I think that um, what I was sort of getting at with that is that if you've got a role playing, uh, if you're having a role playing uh, you know experience and you're and you're relatively young and you're sort of learning the the rules, then it's not so easy to sort of see the 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 bigger picture when it comes to role-playing games and the more that you you play you know you get a better a better handle on this idea of you know we're trying to tell a collaborative story it's supposed to be it's going to be fun i'm going to try and draw people i'm going to use people's character backgrounds and so on and so forth you're actually developing your skills so that no matter what the dice come up you're going to be able to come up with some interesting thing that that's happened um and sort of going along with that do you think that every role should be meaningful therefore I think that's it. what you're talking about. There is a necessary skill if the game doesn't talk about it or address right. it, right. Um, yep. uh, or make it inevitable that the, all the choices will be meaningful. I mean, right. I do think it's important. Uh, sometimes it's fun to let people roll for things that aren't important. I guess uh, my friend Epi loves to do that, um, but, <laughs> yeah. but like I, I don't think it requires uh, necessarily requires maturity. I think it requires uh, or can be a, a facilitated with design. Like sure. it doesn't require maturity. Maturity helps. It doesn't require design, uh, but design can help. Yeah, oh for sure. If you give the people the tools to, to deal with something, you know, that's uh you know, that that's often the best way to break down some of those those barriers if you don't um if you don't address it directly, you, know, you shouldn't do it like this, you should do it like this. You know, you're right. coming at them from the you know, like have you considered that this might be a way to to accomplish what it is you're trying to do. But yeah, I think it's a design. It is ultimately a, a design flaw if people have to fudge roles to make the, uh, to make the game work. But, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, who am I to say whether that's right or wrong. So what's the best for you at least or most inspiring role-playing film or TV show? Um, I, I go through cycles with these. I, I, uh, this is how I design games. I like, uh, I'll, I'll uh, right now, Louie, 
on FX, the right. uh, the sitcom yep. about uh, uh, Louis C.K., the comedian. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm writing a game called Sad and Miserable, The Secret Lives of Stand-Up Comics. Right. So I watch that show, and I take notes obsessively, and I think about the dynamics of it. And it's really, like, lighting up my brain right now because mm-hmm. it, 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 it does a lot of, like uh, – great things with this character ricocheting between uh, being a complete shitheel and valueless and being the smartest and coolest guy that there is. Uh, and uh, I think there's something... I, I, so it, this isn't like generally applicable, I guess, for, for role-playing. But like I, when I key in on something specifically like that, like how do you have a character who's the protagonist and who goes from being like a terrible, crappy person who you wouldn't want to be around to someone who you love and you're like, yeah, yeah, you say it. You know, I get hung up on, the, on little things like that. And how do, you, how do you make that something that you feel in the game, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, right now I'd say Louie uh, and, and Mark Maron's podcast, What the Fuck. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. That, uh, yeah, that that idea of actually being able to get your players to inhabit your character and, and experience the things that you want them to get out of the game, that's the that's sort of the, at least to me, anyway, that's the core of, of trying to design a game. It's how can I best get the players to inhabit their, their characters? You know, what's, how can I get them to have the experience that I wrote the game for? You know, and that's, and that's hard to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's my main goal. Like, uh, I, I, I'm an indie game designer, so I'm not going to be rich. My main goal is to introduce my ideas to people. And if, if they don't understand what I've written and they're not playing the game I wrote, then, then I do that successfully. But that's really all that matters to me. Like, I want to make sure that they know that, they, that, they're, that they're getting the experience that I intended. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so who is your favorite villain and why? I love William Rawls from uh, The Wire. Uh, he's the guy who is the who's Jimmy McNulty, the protagonist's uh, boss throughout right. the series, and he's not a bad person. There's this he's a shithead, but he's not evil, right? right? There's this scene where someone gets shot, and it's this one cop's fault, and he comes and he, he the one cop's feeling like it's his fault, and he comes to him and he's like, "No, this isn't your fault. This is her job. She came in for this," and he fixes this guy, you know. So he's got he's got some core, like he knows what he's doing, he knows how to keep his police force running, mm-hmm. but he is completely obsessed with statistics and with uh, clearance and with looking good, and he doesn't care at all about keeping people safe or making sure that people get caught or even satisfying the itchy desire that his uh that his detectives have to do good police work all he cares about is the numbers all he cares about is his advancement and what he can get out of it um and uh that's wonderful i i really love antagonists you know more than villains right so what about him have you managed to use um in a role-playing sense He's got this sort of smug confidence um, when when someone else is so right and so passionate. He does this thing where he's just like he, – he finds it cute, you right. know, that they care, you know, <laughs> or that they think that that's going to make a difference, you know. And, yeah. and he, you know, he'll, he'll just deflate them. Right, uh, right. And I love that. And it's great, you know, in misspent youth, mechanically as the authority, I don't, I can't beat the, uh, the player characters right. too well, you know, because if they want to, they can sell out something about themselves and, and they'll be fine. Um, so I need to get to, to, to find things that get under skin and annoy them and infuriate them. So stuff like that is, is invaluable. Right. 
So if you could become a character in a role-playing game, what would it mean? That doesn't mean you can just roll up something in your favorite system. I mean, like, suddenly Robert Bowl was in a role-playing game with a different name and a, a different set of skills, but essentially the same person. I was going to say free market. Like, I was every episode until that girl said free market, I was like, free market, free market, free market. <laughs> but uh, uh, I want to live utopianly. I don't, I don't want to... Uh, be miserable. Right. Um, so my answer is the academics from, uh, I would want to be an academic from, uh, Joshua AC Newman's shock, uh, uh, human contact. Right. The academics are, uh, are what humanity on earth evolves into. They're six foot tall. They, um, uh, are all pretty much polyamorous and bisexual. Not that I'm you know, really looking forward to that part of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, they live in a scientific utopia where you're, uh, where everybody is a multiple scientist on several levels, and everybody is always free to associate however they want. And your your value is based on what you give to the society, and it's always floating above your head in this data packet that people can look at. And you are adapted to live in zero gravity, and you go throughout the universe and find other humanity and 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 hook up Kept with them. Sexual. Now that's yeah. the part I wouldn't do. The part where the game happens, I wouldn't want to do that. Because invariably, when you go to another planet of humanity, you wind up killing each other. Right. So what I would want to be is one of these people, like, back in an Earth sphere who's, like, uh, maybe his day job is to help program telemetry, you know, to get people to f- star systems or something. But otherwise, pretty much can live the utopian lifestyle. Nice. So you'd like to be a polymath, like the idea of sort of having the unlimited access to information and being able to have the time to think about it would be your ideal sort of situation? Absolutely. Live three, four hundred years, you know, be able to repackage my experiences so that other people can feel them. It's a really great game. And, and, and it's what's great about it is that you get this sort of pristine, wonderful academic society. Um, uh, and then they're still human, you know. Right. They, when they, they're still jealous, they're still, you know, sometimes shitty to each other for no reason, and they still are afraid of people that don't look like them. Right. It's, it's great. Because <laughs> it feels real. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's another big part of role-playing, isn't it? Trying to create these experiences that feel real, even though they're all, they're wholly imaginary. You know, that's a, so do you have any dice, dice superstitions? No, and I get angry when people have them, but I'm nice and I don't say anything. <laughs> I find them really in, like really like sometimes actually that's not true. When I was a, a kid, I would definitely say it's still it's still random. You're not doing anything. It's still random. Now I just sort of smile through gritted teeth. Yeah. <laughs> well, look at you. are so cute with your dice superstitions, you idiot. Um, <laughs> Solo. <laughs> For all the marbles, Robert. Totaling one hundred. System, GM, and players. How much do you allocate to each one? Well, it depends. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> You're so a good company if you want to give a sophisticated answer. I, I got, it, I got it. I'm going to lop off GMs, fold them into players because they're just players. Right. And uh, uh, so I'm going to say, if you pay attention to the game and you play the rules as written, and you give a shit about that kind of stuff, uh, I'm going to say maybe fifty to sixty percent system and uh, 50 to 40% uh, players. But if uh, uh, the thing is that uh, 
if you don't really care about the rules and you're just going to do whatever the fuck you feel like or you haven't read the rules or you've got this mentality, it's weird in role-playing. Role-playing, I think, is, are the only kind of games anywhere that people just assume that they're going to be breaking the rules or changing them at, at will. Um, if you're not going to be playing that way, uh, then it, then I would say it's 100%. The, the player maybe up to five to ten percent the system for like uh inspiration on setting or the occasional idea of where to move it um but but if if you're in one of these groups where the system is we've got a guy at the front and it's pretty much it goes how he thinks the rules go then yeah the system isn't going to matter nearly as much ladies and gentlemen robert ball that's it for episode 29 of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the episode, daniel at hazardgaming.com. Signed and numbered copies of Victoria are available from hazardgaming.com. Click Buy Victoria and follow the links. You can also get a PDF from RPG Now or Drive Through RPG. And you can get a print-on-demand version of the book at Lulu. For listeners of Penny Red, though, you can get the PDF of Victoria for only $6.99 by going to the Buy Victoria and scrolling down on the right-hand side until you're across from the field for entering our email address for the PDF delivery, and you'll find a secret link which will take you to a page where you can purchase it for, as I say, $6.99. You can also find other resources there which will be useful for Victorian games as well as games of Victoria, as well as a one-shot I wrote called Faith and various other bits and pieces for which you can pay nothing or whatever you like. Ryan Macklin assures me that next week he will have listened to the episode and will give it the green light for play next Sunday. However, I've already let you down twice in the past, so I wouldn't blame you if you don't believe me on that one. In any case, until next week, keep talking the walk. Mm-hmm.